This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their tap room in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. And this week, we're talking with 14th Star Brewing. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. So joining us today, we have Steve Gagne, one of the founders of 14 Star Brewing. And we're going to talk about the beer scene in Vermont, brewing with a mission, and probably a little bit about maple syrup. That might ooze in there a little bit sweetly. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Steve, Brian brought up the maple syrup. Is it is it really as popular? Is it one of those stereotypes that's true? Is it that popular in Vermont? Well, it's, you know, if if... Vermonters had anything close to a lifeblood that that kind of be it that's it uh, okay well that answers that one well it's not only you know a a major agricultural product product and therefore you know a an economic engine in Vermont it's uh you know you, you can't you just can't make it everywhere and so it's culturally it's fairly unique to uh you know a small segment of of uh the geographic United States and, you know, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we think we make the best syrup in the world. Nothing wrong with that. We're, no, not we're fans. Yeah. We're fans. Of it. <laughs> we, get, we get a little bit of it down here occasionally. I don't know if it's good quality stuff. I've heard that there are grades and I never know what I'm really looking at because I've never gone down that road. But You can definitely tell a difference in real deal Vermont yeah. maple syrup. I think and so. I had. I had a beef with Cracker Barrel over that, Brian, because they took the real maple syrup away and made this blend because they said the maple syrup was there was a shortage and a, a price increase. Um, and they went to this fake stuff that just was nowhere near as good. Like the Aunt Jemima stuff? Like something 50, along those lines. It was, it was not real maple syrup anymore, which is a tragedy. Well, that I think a shame. what happens is uh, is places blend it with like corn syrup and uh, right. or, or or fake syrup and they refer to it as maple syrup which uh if it's not a crime which i think it might be in some places it <laughs> right be, so. well you should look into getting that some sort of an official designation there that you know people do that with uh was it champagne and a few all other kinds things. of stuff all kinds yeah. of things where you cannot make oh, it somewhere there, else there, there call is it. there's uh yeah. there you go there's <laughs> a designation yeah. for it to be listed as vermont for it to be listed as pure um oh yeah there's <laughs> There's certainly a lot of regulation to it. Serious business. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Well, Brian, as always, busy week for us. We got out and we did a thing or three. Uh, recently, we went over. We went over to Scofflaw Brewing. Saw our yes. friends in Nappy Roots. They're brewing a collaboration beer there that they're calling the Nappy Goat. Yes. Which is a strawberry banana milkshake IPA that they're doing. Those guys have been super busy. Yeah, with doing collaborations here lately. And we actually have one of their collaborations here we're going to get into a little bit later uh, called uh, Bluegrass Stain that they did with Dancing Gnome Brewery. And it's just called an American L. So we'll see what that's all about. Also, went uh, we went on the Atlanta Beer Bus, the ATL we Beer did. Bus. Yes. We did their Atlanta or ATL Road Sip. 
is what yes. they called it. And we went from Atlanta to Athens, Georgia, hit all the breweries over there in Athens, Creature Comfort, Southern Brewing Company, Terrapin. And uh, we went to Academia Brew Pub there. Had a good time. A full day trip. I'm. It's been a while since I've did... 12 hours of brewery tours. Yeah, that was quite a, quite a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so good time. But what else do you get into this week, Brian? Yeah, so, uh, you know, of course, after, you know, in, in along with that this weekend, I can't hardly talk today, uh, we did some uh, stu- minis in the studios, mini we did episodes, do some mini episodes that, uh, a couple of beer for our uh, Patreon folks. We And uh, we went to uh, The Nest for a, a low country boil slash swamp, eat everything in the swamp yeah. type of situation where we had a platter where everything that lives in a swamp and a few things maybe that don't even we they they smoked all of them and we ate all of them so that was a lot of fun had some uh some of that dry county lechuza, lechuza. mexican lager yeah. yep yeah, mexican lager that's that's such a great lager yeah. i enjoy, Steve, enjoy I that imagine a great deal you guys don't get a lot of swamp based foods up there do you <laughs> we don't no yeah this had <laughs> it was a platter that had smoked frog legs gator bites crawfish shrimp Catfish. And a cat yeah. and catfish on there. So the whole swamp is what <laughs> we, they call it. They cooked it. the entire thing. I've had all of that. Uh, not in one sitting, however. Yeah, this is the first time I've had them all together. So <laughs> yeah. but it was it was good stuff. This this place we went, the Nest Barbecue Place, Barbecue and Craft Beer, a couple times a year they actually smoke whole alligators. They just throw them on the smoker and do it up. And that's quite a thing. I it is quite the spectacle and it's good i i enjoyed it it's uh it's an unusual meat it is yeah something neat to see well tim i think it's time for us to get into the beers of the week crack open a cold one it's the truck and tap beer of the week Woo-hoo! craft beer and food trucks in downtown woodstock truck well brian we've got a great selection of beers to get into this week we're going all 14th star beers here We've got quite a few to try. A few of them, we are currently sipping the Oktoberfest. And that's something, Brian, I forgot to mention. I'm going to back it up a little bit. We didn't talk about our Twitter poll. Oh, we forgot the Twitter poll. And that is relevant at this time. So when I put the Twitter poll up, it was August. And my unofficial official rule is I won't touch any Oktoberfest beers until September. I won't play into the seasonal creep. So we're into September now. So we're drinking, Steve, we're drinking your Oktoberfest right now. Well, you could do a whole lot worse. That's for sure. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're, we're getting into that. But the Twitter poll, like I said, it was in August. We were seeing all these Oktoberfest and pumpkin beers out. We asked people, are mm-hmm. you drinking Oktoberfest or pumpkin beers? At the time, 36% of people said they are already drinking the Oktoberfest. 3% said they're drinking pumpkin beers. 12% said they're already into both. And 48% said no. It's too soon. So that seasonal creep will get you. But half of the people knew better. Right. So the uh, the interesting part is uh, we do have to educate some of our consumers because our Oktoberfest, uh, just the way the releases happened, uh, we released it last week, uh, much to the chagrin of most of us, just, just the way the tank space worked out. But uh, <laughs> And so we, we get a lot of comments sometimes that uh, – it doesn't feel right to be drinking Oktoberfest in September and, and you almost have to, you know, stop the eye roll and it's like, all right, guys. So when you say Oktoberfest, it actually happens in September. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you the thing that the thing that kills me is the, the year round pumpkin right. beers or the pumpkin beers that are released yeah. in uh, March and, and April. And it's like, come on, you know. Now, if you're using harvested pumpkins you harvest them in October, November, and then you yeah. brew them and then they're ready yeah. in February, March. Sure. Have at it. They can be great, you know, cold weather beers, but, uh, 
you know, when you're starting your season there with, with canned pumpkin, sorry, I, I can't mess with that. A great summer beer. Get, yeah. your, get your pumpkin beers. So you know, I kind of got burnt out on pumpkin beers. And Brian, I think you're kind of in the same spot, yes. right? Yes. And that's we've told this story before, Steve, but years ago, probably six or seven years ago, we did an all pumpkin bottle share. And at the time, what brewery was it, Brian, that does all of the pumpkin beers? It was uh, oh, one yeah. of the brews it sold. It's in uh, Seattle. Elysian. 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 Yeah. So we probably had 20 or 25 different variations of pumpkin beers, barrel-aged, chocolate pumpkin dark of the moon all that stuff yeah and we did that share and drank all of those and you know steve i think that is the last time i've had any desire to have a pumpkin beer i just haven't been able to go back that way it's it's like any time you've gone out and had a little too much tequila you never want to go back to it yeah exactly (laughs) i've been there too absolutely but back to our beers of the week just making a mess out of things this week but we're also going to get into a coffee ipa brian i know you're looking forward to it we're going to get into their B72 Northeast IPA, and we're going to get into a maple breakfast out. I think we got to oh, do that. Yes. So we also have a few others that if we get time, we'll get into those as well. And Brian, I'm going to let you do a speedy delivery here real quick on a news story. What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. Really quick in the news, uh, Founders Brewing Company has has been owning the news for the past couple of weeks. Uh, the latest is that they sold the majority of their ownership to Mahu San Miguel. That means when the deal is finalized in January, Mahu San Miguel will own 90% of founders and the original founders will own 10% between the two of them. So, you know, they're going to continue to run the day-to-day operations. The interesting thing is, is this comes right on the heels of them announcing that this year's release of Canadian Breakfast Stout will be the last release of CBS for the foreseeable future. Jeremy Kosmicki says he doesn't ever plan to brew it again. I have to wonder if the two items are related. Crazy stuff, Brian. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we will be back very soon to talk more with 14th Star Brew. Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you miss an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. Now let's get back to 14 Star Brewing. And we're going to be talking again with Steve Gagné. Steve, we uh, we have heard that your brewery has a very interesting origin story. Can you kind of tell us the background of Fourteenth Star? <laughs> sure. So myself and the other uh, founder Matt, when we came back from Iraq uh, in two thousand six, you know we expected to be stationed in a certain area, uh, and he was. And the army actually. So we bought a house, my my wife and I. Uh, and our newborn, uh, who was born while I was deployed, 
we bought a house uh, in the area where we currently live. And then I was promptly stationed about three and a half hours away. I ended up renting an apartment down near the battalion I was stationed at. And I would work, you know, I'd go to work at five, six in the morning and I'd stay till eight or nine o'clock at night because I had nothing else to do. The apartment that I rented was about 250 square feet, uh, had no internet and no cable. Um, so there wasn't much else to do but work. And when I would get home, what I would do is I'd kind of watch DVDs and I'd drink a bunch of beer and I'd fall asleep and do it all again the next day. And at some point I said, I got to think of something that's a little more constructive. So you guys are getting the full story. So you might need to edit some of this out. The full story. <laughs> you got it, man. No problem. I figured digitally you guys can do what you want with it. We can do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so one night, uh, half inebriated, I was watching Fight Club on DVD. And, uh, and I said, that can't be how you make soap. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I walked the two miles to Walmart. Like I said, I was, I was kind of drunk. I bought lard and drain cleaner and that night I made soap. And I <laughs> That's woke- legitimately one of the greatest drunk stories <laughs> I've heard. Drunk 2 a.m. lard. <laughs> yeah. I woke up in the morning and I had all these uh, small little dots of chemical burn on my forearm. I didn't realize that lie if it, you know, if you sprinkled some on you, it would just start burning you. And uh, so did it turn out that Brad Pitt was a liar or was that really how you make soap? Oh, that's, that's legitimately how you make soap. Okay. I woke up, I mean, granted, when you make drain cleaner and lard soap, it's not good soap. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I didn't, well, I didn't have access to anyone's uh, liposuctioned fat, but uh (laughs) <laughs> I was fascinated by the process and I said, wow, I, I can't believe that's really how you make soap. So during my lunch break, the next day at work, I Googled soap making and I didn't realize that there was this huge cottage industry of, of homemade soap. So that led me down a rabbit hole of about four to six months of, I got big into making soap, not big as in like a big corporation, but like I went down that rabbit hole hard. I still have some here at the house that I made in 2006. I just, we haven't gone through all that soap yet. And, <laughs> How drunk were you? Uh, <laughs> but what, what I, what it was, what it did was it gave me something that, um, so I, I like to, this, I like to say that I'm both, um, an artist and a geek in that, you know, it's, it's difficult to, or, or it takes a lot of study to make soap technically well but it also takes some artistry to make interesting soap, not dissimilar to beer. But in my studies about soap, I found uh, cheese making, uh, which I went down the rabbit hole hard on, uh, which led me to learning how to bake bread, uh, which... I'm sensing a theme here, going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And then I found brewing later in 2006, and I was, and I don't want to say hooked because that has a really bad connotation, but I was fascinated. I was, I was all in. I was enthralled. As much as I loved bread and soap and cheese, unless you did something wrong, none of it got you drunk. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. That's the good kind. But what I, <laughs> but what I found uh, fascinating is not only did it have the 
the artistic and the, and kind of the scientific components to it. Uh, they're really fascinating to me. Beer has this really unique property that's communal and brings people together. When I was making soap and 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 to a much lesser extent cheese and bread, I, you know, I'd, I'd give it to guys at work, like, oh, I'll take this home for the wives or whatever, and you know, and they'd make fun of me and they're like, oh, that's really masculine. Uh, (laughs) here's some soap and uh, I'm like well when your wife's in the shower she'll be thinking about me no it's um, (laughs) zing there take that (laughs) Uh, when you're when you're when you're the soap maker, you got to think of something witty to say. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> all the guards are down. But what I loved was when I make a batch of beer, I, I can invite the guys that I uh, that I worked with over to the apartment. And we'd sit around and we'd try some beer. And, you know, when the beer is free, you find that they're a bigger fan of it than they, than they normally would be. But it tended to spark conversations. And we would talk about things and open up to each other in a way that we probably should have been paying someone to, to, uh, to speak to about. But, uh, I sat there one night and we were just kind of having this big conversation about, uh, you know, our role as soldiers and, and are we providing value to the world, you know, because we were conducting two wars and et cetera. And it was really this interesting conversation. I said, wow, otherwise, you know, without, you know, the beer was kind of the catalyst to get us to open up and have this really kind of deep, meaningful talk. And uh, and that was kind of the dimension that everything else I was doing lacked. And so, you know, kind of dropped all my other hobbies and uh, and started brewing really full time. Like any any moment I wasn't at work, I was brewing or traveling and learning about beer. Got my best friend Matt into it. Um, and so the weekends when I would come home, we'd spend the weekends brewing beer or, again, traveling, learning about beer, trying different beer, um, consuming beer media. And um, and then we uh, deployed to Afghanistan in 2010, uh, which is kind of the nexus of the brewery. Uh, where we lived in Afghanistan was in the mountains in the east in a small patrol base, no power, no running water. It was really very Spartan, but I was also the highest ranking guy for about 150 miles. So it was great because there was no one to tell me what to do. <laughs> and so in between combat patrols and, and gunfights and getting attacked and, uh, you know, cleaning weapons and vehicle maintenance and doing all that stuff that you do in combat, there's actually a ridiculous amount of downtime. And, uh, so, you know, you exercise, you read books. And one of the things that Matt and I did, um, mostly as a mental exercise, uh, is we wrote a business plan in the back of one of my notebooks. And uh, we didn't know for certain that we wanted to start a brewery. We just wanted, we just knew that when we retired from the army in a couple of years, um, we wanted to own a business. We wanted to work together. We wanted to do something that was... Um, you know, that wasn't relegated to an office. We wanted to be doing something physically, uh, but we also wanted something that would uh, help bring our community together. And so before we even knew that we wanted to own a brewery, we knew that our mission statement, we wanted to be a, a responsible uh, local business that helped improve uh, not only our local economy, but uh, but the lives of the people in our community and 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 our fellow veterans. Um, 
we used brewing because it was fun to think about because you're not allowed to drink while you're deployed. Um, so we thought a lot about beer. Um, and uh, since we had no access to the internet or, or other resources, we just we just kind of made stuff up. We made up numbers. We didn't know what we could sell beer for wholesale. We didn't know what we would buy ingredients for. I mean, we had a rough idea what we bought it from uh, at the homebrew store and figured they were marking it up at least 30%. Well, Steve, I hate to, I'm sorry to cut you off here, but we do have to go to a break and uh, we'll pick this up in just a moment. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show and we will be back right after this. Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Is your brewery or restaurant pouring all jacked up? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you want to make sure it's slip resistant and you can clean up your messes with soap and water. You know who to call? ResTech. We've been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002, and we've got solutions to fit any facility's needs. Go on and visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. Drop us a line and we will come to you for a free evaluation. Oh, yeah. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Oh, God, here we go again. Dork alert. Now, back to the Beer Guys radio show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys radio show. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our great radio affiliates, WVMT 96.3 FM and 620 AM in Burlington, Vermont. Catch Beer Guys radio on WVMT every Saturday at 1 p.m. local time. Now let's get back to our talk with Steve Gagné. Steve, we apologize. We had to had to stop you there due to a break, but we were getting the origin story of your brewery, and I don't think you were uh, quite done telling us there, correct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we got to the point where we'd written this business plan in Afghanistan, and we came home. We're back to home brewing, and, uh, you know, we're excited. We're talking about it. We're talking about, oh, what if, what if, and, we, you know, we started, you know, researching real numbers and kind of updating the plan. And finally, our wives sat us down about nine months later and they said, hey, guys, this sounds awesome, but do it or shut up because we're, we're done listening to you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so uh, took a $10,000 loan out for my 401k, signed a lease uh, and had no idea what we were doing commercially brewing, but we really went for it. And our first month licensed was May of 2012. We made 60 gallons of beer that month. And uh, and then demand kind of took off. We, you know, we're seven years into it now. We make about 6,000 gallons a week. And we're distributed in seven states uh, in the United Kingdom. That's pretty, even, even over in the UK, huh? Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. cool. Yeah. So I know, I know, as you mentioned, a big part of your brewery is, is giving back and serving veterans. What are some of the ways that you serve you know, the veteran community. Um, so in several ways. Uh, so 
some of our beers are geared towards raising money for veterans' causes. For example, Recruit, which is our golden ale, it raises money for uh, adaptive ski and sports. So those who uh, you know paralyzed, lost limbs, etc., um, teaching them how to you know adapt and and get back into doing normal athletic stuff. You know, skiing, snowboarding water sports, et cetera, um, which I think is very therapeutic. And then uh, Follow Me, which is our session IPA, that raises money for the Josh Bellotta Fund. And uh, Josh was an infantryman who deployed to Afghanistan with Matt and I, and uh, a few years later lost his battle with uh, PTSD and TBI and took his own life. And uh, And that really hits home with Matt and I. So... His parents, um, his mom, Val, started the, the foundation, and the whole point is to prevent veteran suicide and to ultimately build Josh's house, which is the place for veterans to get, to, uh, to get together, access some of those life-saving services and the outreach that they need, and but really just have a place to bond and to realize that they have a support structure. Um, and every year, our biggest fundraiser is the the fundraiser to to raise money for Josh's house. And, uh, you know, we always, we open up our brewery and and the event space and the outdoor space, and it's completely packed. And it's, and it's really a, a great thing to be able to, uh, to ensure that those veterans aren't, um, are are getting the help that they need. Steve, I know we've heard a lot about, you know, supporting the veterans and that coming back. I think most people know about like the wounded warrior project, but I've heard there's a lot of misconceptions with the needs of veterans and that. Are there any common misconceptions that you'd like to let people know about? Uh, you know, I, I think the common misconception is that uh, that all veterans have issues. It's certainly not the case. You know, the other thing, I, those that are having issues, some have, you know, adjustment difficulties because your life over there is so different. And the adjustment can certainly be difficult. I, I still um, have difficulty with it at times. But some of the veterans who are struggling, it doesn't make them dangerous people. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're not by and large, uh, a wholesale crazy lot. But, uh, you know, it, it affects people in different ways. And, uh, you know, what you're asked to do over there is not normal. You know, I don't think many of us are, are wired in that way. And so it does take... Um, you know, a very thoughtful and kind of proactive uh, readjustment. Some do better with the reintegration than others. So not everyone has issues and and those who do have issues, uh, you know, we're not crazy. Uh, (laughs) uh, We just, we just need some help sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there, what is the best way for, you know, the average person to help to support our talk to them, talk to them and and genuinely listen understand that if you haven't done those things, then you probably won't understand uh, their point of view in a, uh, in a lot of instances, and that's okay. You don't have to understand what they're going through, um, nor do I think you, you really can in a lot of situations, and that's okay. You don't necessarily have to, um, and, you know, and you, and you certainly don't need to discount what they're telling you uh, because, you know, whether we like it or not, it's like, you know, dealing with a child. Uh, you know, when a baby's crying, you're like, well, you're, you're fed and you're dry. There's no reason for you to cry. Well, to the baby, there's a reason. And I'm not trying to, you know, uh, 
you know, make the analogy that we're a bunch of babies, <laughs> but, uh, sure. You know, talk to the veterans, listen to them. And, uh, and if they're having a problems, understand that they're having a problem and that's okay. Oftentimes what we really need to hear is just that someone cares and someone's in our corner. That means more than, than you could know. That really makes sense. That really makes sense. You know, switching gears here, mm-hmm. I have to know what is the, uh, the meaning behind the name 14 star brewing i mean where does that come from i think i've got a guess is that is that a reference to the military or is that something that's a fantastic question but i'll I'll, i heard there's that there might be some theories i'll let you guys guess first you know what i think wasn't vermont the 14th yes sir yeah it was the first state after the original 13 and uh and it was uh Oh, that's yeah. right. It became a state in 1791. Uh, what was interesting, it became a state really to settle a land dispute between, uh, excuse me, New York and uh, New Hampshire. Congress at the time really didn't care about Vermont as a state. And so it wasn't given its own star on the flag. And Vermonters being a kind of proud lot were like, eh, hey, where's our star? They're like, eh, simmer down. And they're like, no, it's, there's... <laughs> Simmer down. There's a star for every colony. Why not? Why not for us? And so Vermonters would sew a large star to the center of the Betsy Ross 13 star flag. So as you can see in our logo, there's a large star surrounded by the other 13. And those were flown from yep. 1791 to 1795 when Kentucky became the 15th state. And we went from a 13 star flag to a 15 star flag. But there was never actually a 14th star flag. It's a reference to our state. Uh, into the kind of the the quality that that Vermont is known for, uh, but it also you know is a reference to our fierce independence and uh, and our unwillingness to let others discount who we are just because we're a small state. You know, there for a while, I guess flag makers had to be like, "Come on, come on, we just got we got the thirteen pattern. It looks nice." Throw the fourteenth one. Now we got fifteen stars. It's, and every flag every makers were loving it. It's every, the, every Capitol building. Yeah. Oh, Capitol. Oh, yeah. I guess so, right? That's, yeah. That's, that's, I, was, I think that's the point. only time in our nation's history where we've had fast fashion in the flag industry, and they're just like, "Yeah, keep pumping out the states, homie." I got, I got Virgin. <laughs> I got Virgin you know forty nine coming. Point. Keep adding those stars. It's been a while. I don't remember the, what was it. Uh, the latest fashion yeah. in flags. Yes, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I w- I was thinking it would be more likely the uh, the official buildings, the Capitol buildings. It's like, oh, we got we've got to get a new flag. We just got this flag. <laughs> it just arrived. We just have you to get all your posters and your paintings exactly. up, your murals. It's a lot of work. <laughs> you got to go repaint all. But those. you know, like Steve said, though, that kept yeah. a lot of people busy. Well, there. I'll tell you, in the army. We have our uh, our chain of command walls that shows the the pictures. So I'm a, I'm a battalion commander in the army, and uh, so I have my photo on the wall. And the brigade commander, the division commander, all the way up to the president Trump. Uh, what keeps us busy is he keeps. Um, well, let's just say his staff keeps switching. Uh, <laughs> people keep getting hired and fired and promoted and demoted in the in the civilian leadership. <laughs> And so we have to keep changing out the photos on this photo lineup of uh, of leaders. That's kind of that's how we keep ourselves busy these days. <laughs> keep busy. Yeah. New pictures. Well, we need to take another break. You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We'll be back very soon to talk more with 14th Star Brewing.
Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing, establishing a new standard in craft beer. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram well i'm sure i'd feel much worse if i weren't under such heavy sedation now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show if you enjoy the show please consider supporting us on patreon just go to patreon.com slash beer guys patrons can get some cool perks like beer guys swag commercial free episodes and even bonus episodes that aren't available anywhere else and we just recorded a few more of we did yes this we did. week brian we have uh we did the bells double two hearted oh yeah we sampled that so that's out there right now oh exciting at this very moment i can't hardly wait to hear it now back to our conversation with steve genyer Steve, you know, real quick, I'll move on from this quick, but I had to throw this out there to you. You mentioned your drunken foray into <laughs> soap making. Now, I will say that I was sober when I did that, but for a few years, my ex-wife and I owned a candle making business. Yeah, She did some soaps as well, but it was we were mostly candles, and we actually grew it up to work kind of an, an unintentional niche that we landed in. Someone saw our candles and wanted to sell them as a fundraising item. And we ended up falling into some referral network there. So for about two years, we had schools, daycares, and churches coming to us to do fundraisers. So they would pre-sell all of our candles for us and then order like, hey, we sold 300 candles. So <laughs> Yeah. And we quit because my wife got sick of making candles. So many stinking <laughs> candles. So. But I didn't let anybody get at me, man. It was ma- They were masculine candles. <laughs> Just like yourself. Yeah. That's right. Burberry and bourbon and cedar and all those great gasoline, gasoline, right? (laughs) Oil slicks, yeah, hair gel, yeah. You know, there are man mandals out there, they call them that (laughs) supposed to be manless. Hang on, I think I'm wearing mandals. You are wearing mandals, that's a different thing, yeah. (laughs) Well, Steve, we want to talk a little more about your brewery and your beers and that there. So, you know, we talked some about that. I was going to ask you mentioned cheese making as well. So, do you still make cheese? Have you brought your love of beer and cheese together? No, not really. It's a, a time-intensive activity that uh, I really don't have the sure. luxury of right now. You know, like I said, in addition to the brewery, my, my real day-to-day job, the thing that actually pays the bills is I'm an army officer. I don't get a lot of time to do a whole lot of stuff outside of it. Yeah. Between being an officer running the brewery, there's no time to, yeah, seriously. to make the cheese. Understandable. Right. I heard you make a reference to a Vermont-style IPA or double IPA. What is that? Is that different than New England IPA, or is that the same thing? Or So I will tell you that New England IPA is the <laughs> word that non-Vermont breweries give to a Vermont IPA. Understand the origins okay. of right. what you would consider a New England IPA. Uh, well, you know, you're looking back at, at the first, what one would consider a New England IPA, and you're talking about beers like Hetty Topper sure. and as, other assorted pub IPAs by The Alchemist when they still had the restaurant. Um, and then, you know, you have Sean Hill at Hill Farmstead 
creating some amazing stuff, uh, also hazy well before its time. And that really boils down to the yeast that they were using, which was Conan. And that was developed at Vermont Pub and Brewery by Greg Noonan, who is a, you know, a craft beer pioneer. And so Greg was using, he developed Conan, was using it at VPB. And when John left to go start The Alchemist, he took the house yeast with him, used it in a much different way than MVPB was using it and, you know, created, you know, arguably the world's greatest beer. And so in Vermont, we had these crazy, hazy, delicious, hot bomb IPAs, uh, partly due to the yeast and partly due to some other stuff these uh, pioneering brewers well before us uh, were doing. And so for us, it was just an IPA. Uh, when people would come to Vermont and they were like, wow, this is different. Took those techniques and those and those ingredients and brought them to other places and they couldn't call it a Vermont IPA because they weren't in Vermont. And so New England IPA was kind of the thing that, that people started calling it. And that's what ended up becoming uh, approved by, uh, by the BJCP. So to us, it's a Vermont IPA. I had no idea, but I'm curious about one thing. Having read a little bit recently about raw ales, uh, I'm curious if all of the haziness, does that all come from Conan or do you experiment with boil times and, possibly do things to allow more proteins to exist in the beer in, unlike what a lot of people do with their boil times with us uh we experiment with boil times for various reasons none of which uh is to impart haze the haze in our beer uh, is either less flocculent yeast or uh, hop resins just not something that we've ever really felt like getting into there's um you know, when, when we started brewing, there was a thing called turbidity, uh, which used to be a, a measure of how clear your beer is. And it used to be a sign of a, of a poorly brewed beer. But I mean, you, you had a beer like Hetty Topper and you can't say that that beer was poorly brewed. Um, and, and turbidity has really fallen off as a metric that people have used to, to uh, grade beers because evidently a lot of craft beer drinkers want the haziest kind of gnarliest beer they can get their hands on nowadays and that's and that's interesting i made a meme not long ago because i am a spicy meme lord Steve, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh but anyhow i just said hazy is not a flavor and i hear so many people that it's like what's your favorite beer oh i love the taste of hazies and i'm like wait a minute wait a minute this this isn't a flavor you can't love the taste right non-flocculent of yeast. a hazy they enjoy yeah. non-flocculent le- yeah yeast but the thing is it has become a descriptor that people think this is that's all they search for in the beer yeah. it, nothing else matters as much as saying i'm i like hazies and you know kind of what you address steve is what i thought about it there's a lot of breweries out there that are not in vermont or new england that are brewing beers and they are trying their best to get as much haze as possible yeah but, you know, for for the origins of these beers, it was more just something that happened in the process of brewing the beers the way you did. Right. And that's we talked we talked a couple of years ago to Kimmick and he mentioned, you know, people talk about hazies and you compare it to what is hazy now. Oh, nothing. Hetty Topper is not that hazy. It's not. We talked to Lawson's a couple of weeks ago, Sean Lawson, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, sip of sunshine. And that people talking about these beers being hazy and they're not really 
that hazy compared to these milkshake opaque beers that are being made now well and 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 nothing against the the beers that are being made now but you know you have a a sip or a heady and you're like you're right it's not the hoppiest thing out there anymore it's certainly not the haziest thing out there anymore but those are good freaking beers you know and uh right sure absolutely <laughs> and uh and, and it's it's crazy we have people come into the brewery and they say you know hey what would you like uh, what's the hoppiest thing you have? Do you mean bitter as in IPUs? Do you mean that floral citrus resin aroma and flavor? Like what? Because it's all hoppy. It's just different versions of. And they're like, well, I only like hoppy beers. Do you like bitter beer? Like <laughs> we have, you know, we have very, very hop forward beers that are very low bittering because it's the way that we produce them. And we have lower hop perception or hop flavor beers that are very bitter. But, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, the consumers telling us what it is they enjoy about the beers that helps us give them the right beer for them. Dial it in there, right? Hoppy and hoppy and hazy. Right. That's it. I don't like dark beers. I'm looking for something light. Yeah. <laughs> All the descriptors there. So, Steve, what is next for 14th Star Brewing? It is a an evolving industry. And the market continues to, to become more saturated, really in terms of innovation. What we're looking to do is, you know, continue to develop great beers. And what used to work in terms of putting out a flagship beer and, and, and marketing, it doesn't work so, so well anymore because people want to try what's new and what's hot. So we're taking the lessons learned from dialing in these great beers and, uh, in addition to the staples that people can find and enjoy because they know they're going to be good, putting out limited releases, which is kind of the, the way to survive the industry right now. And we're looking at uh, alternative models of delivering beer, of, um, of ownership in the business that will allow our employees to benefit from uh, our future growth. And we're also looking at a model to become the hometown beer of the American servicemen all over the country, which is an interesting kind of distribution model because we can't brew it in Vermont and send it to Fort Hood, Texas and expect it to be uh, as good as it was when it left the brewery. So uh, a lot of logistical challenges, but, uh, but we're pretty excited about it. Some big plans there. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, we will be talking with Bend Oregon's Deschutes Brewing. For more craft beer info, follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang.